Open the word of God to John chapter 12. Glorious things of thee are spoken. Amen. Zion, city of our God. Amen. And we sang about the glorious things of the church of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, right. the, the visible worship of Jesus Christ. The world knows nothing about the lasting treasure that we have here because they can't see it. Because it is an invisible kingdom that doesn't come with observation. Because it's dealing in things that are far more important than anything on earth. If you can see it on earth, it's worthless and it's going to be burned up. If you can't see it and it's written in the word of God, it's eternal. It'll never be burned up and we have a kingdom that shall stand forever. We sang many good things in that song, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken, Zion, City of Our God. We are not Zionists. Zionists are those that love the Jews in Israel, the most Christ-hating people on earth. God has left them and their city and their nation and their temple and destroyed it all to the ground in 70 A.D., Yet there are many, especially in this city, that believe that there's a third temple to be rebuilt and that Jesus will sit in that temple with an earthly, carnal, worldly, physical, visible kingdom. We deny them and reject them. They are called dispensationalists. They are called premillennialists. They are called pre-tribulationists. They don't know their Bibles They have followed Jewish fables. They don't know how to read the Old Testament. They take every Old Testament prophecy and make it literal. You cannot spiritualize or they'll call you a Roman Catholic. They are unbelievable at the way they have twisted scripture. They were unknown before 120 years ago. They came out of the Plymouth Brethren. They were popularized by the Schofield Reference Bible where he took the incredible liberty of putting his words as chapter titles, as section titles, and as footnotes right beside the text of the Word of God, though a Jew and not knowing the Bible, having never been converted to the truth of the gospel. We are not Zionists. Jerusalem in the Middle East means nothing to us. It is an ugly, measly, meager city. There is another Jerusalem that is our city. And it's Jerusalem which is above. It is Jerusalem which is the mother of us all. That's what Paul wrote to Galatians in Galatians chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 11, we are told that Abraham did not look for a Jerusalem on this earth. He looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker was God. That's in chapter 11. In chapter 12, we're told that the Jews have come unto Jerusalem which is above. In chapter 13, the Jews are told, we have no continuing city on earth. Now, how's that for Hebrews 11, 12, and 13? And it was written to the... The Jews or the Hebrews. We are not Zionists. When you read the word Zion in song 345 in our Trinity hymnal of our three song books, that's referring to the kingdom of Jesus Christ and his citadel and fortress in heaven. And we are an outpost of it. 
and the world looks at our outward building and says, how poor. We look at what we have inside and we say, how rich we are. John chapter 12, verse 20. And there were certain Greeks. We're in the nation of Israel, made up of Jews. Here in the last week of our Lord's life. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. That feast being the Passover. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it, said that it thundered. Others said, An angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. If the Jews had killed him, he would have been stoned to death. That was their method. He had to die a Roman death. And that's what verse 33 means, what death he should die, the means of death being lifted up in verse 32 on a Roman cross to put into effect and to initiate three transcendent events. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out, and I will draw all men unto me. And that's why we're here today, is because verse part three, the third event, is fulfilled in our lives. Amen. I want to spend a minute with you on dispensationalism in just a moment. First, let me remind you that while death is emphasized here and Jesus Christ's death is a transcendent event, do not allow it to be separated from the other events attached to it. His burial, if he isn't buried, if he isn't buried, we don't have verse 24 fulfilled, do we? Because a seed has to be put in the ground. If he isn't resurrected, 
then he's still dead, and we're yet in our sins. 1 Corinthians 15. And if he isn't ascended, he's on earth without reward. And God's acceptance and approval of him, and our acceptance and approval in him. Without coronation, his ascension only changed his location. Without Gentile converts, his kingdom is so tiny and pitiful, it brings him no glory. Do not separate death, burial, resurrection, ascension, coronation, and conversion of the Gentiles. Because they go together. Do you need to hear it again? Thank you. I wanted to say it again. 1 Timothy 3.16 And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. It's called a mystery because we know it and they don't. The world doesn't know these things, but we know them. They are true historical events. They're more important than the Santa Maria, the Nina, and the Pinto Bean. Or whatever those three little rowboats were called that came from Portugal and Spain to the North American continent. You know, all the time that is spent on that junk. Here are six events that are without controversy great. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. And we love those events. And don't let them get separated and torn apart. Because the Bible, if we were to take the time to look at all the verses, puts them together. I just explained that to you. Without his death, and without his death, our sins weren't paid for because the wages of sin is death. And it just continues that you need to have them all put together or it's been incomplete. The prophecies aren't fulfilled. Jesus isn't rewarded and sitting at God's right hand with us in him, represented by him. Now let me talk a minute about dispensationalism. I don't want anyone in here to be intimidated by the word. Dispensationalism. It means that they believe that God has operated in seven dispensations with men. The millennium being number seven. The age of grace being number six that they say we're in right now. That's all it means. Dispensationalism. A dispensation is a period of time by which things are done a certain way. That's all that it means. But other doctrines they hold are what I want to talk about. But you'll hear the word dispensationalism very seldom from me. But on this particular sermon series here, in this part of John, you've heard it from me. Dispensationalism. John Darby. Plymouth Brethren. C.I. Schofield, Dallas Theological Seminary, Bob Jones University. They are dispensationalists. Tim LaHaye, Clarence Larkin, Hal Lindsey, dispensationalists. That God has operated in seven dispensations. That's where the word comes from. It's all man-made. There's three dispensations taught in the Bible. Three. Adam to Moses, 2,500 years. Moses to Christ, 1,500 years. Christ to Christ, 2,000 years. That's the 6,000-year history of the world. Amen. Three dispensations, and the Bible teaches those three. 
Because it says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even before there was a law. And then we know who gave the law, it was Moses. And the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. Okay, there's the three dispensations. Let's forget all that junk. Let me tell you what they believe. All scripture, especially prophecy, is to be understood literally without spiritualizing. Here we go. Let me give you an example. How retarded they are. And I was gracious with my word. You don't know what I would like to say. They make me sick because they're blasphemous. They make me sick because they steal the glory of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. They make me sick because they are going to resurrect the preeminence of Jews and put us Gentiles down that Christ is made equal to the Jews. And on and on, they make me sick because our government supports that little nation of rebels over there in the Middle East. How much do you think I'll cry when the Arabs run them into the Mediterranean? Not one bit. Those aren't God's people over there. God's people are sitting right here in Zion, in Jerusalem, which is the mother of us all. All scriptures to be taken literally. So, John, where does the literal school of interpretation come from? The rabbis of the Jews. That's where Jewish fables come from. And C.I. Schofield and all of them have picked that up. Their number one rule of interpreting prophecy is scriptures are to be taken literally. Last two verses of the Old Testament. I will send Elijah the prophet. The Jews walk up to John the Baptist. Art thou Elias? No. They believe that he's coming. Elijah's coming back. He's one of the two witnesses. In Revelation, Elijah has to come back before Jesus can come either the third or the fourth time. Let me go over that again. I had a young student from Bob Jones University ask me about this last Lord's Day, so I want to go over it again. Here is their idea of what's going to happen. Jesus is going to burst through the clouds at any moment and have a rapture. That word is not in the Bible. He's going to take all the believers out of the world and leave everyone else here. That's called left behind, and it makes for good television. That's called the rapture. Then there's seven years. For seven years, the Antichrist is going to reign. He might be the head of the United Nations. He might be in Israel. He might have a glowing 666 in his forehead. He might have three arms with one of them growing out of his chest. Who knows? Because it's all man-made about this Antichrist of theirs. They don't have any Bible for it. The the word Antichrist is not in the book of Revelation. The word Antichrist is only in the epistles of John. It's the man of sin that Paul preached against in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But anyway, seven years of what they call tribulation, hell on earth. Some of them believe that the first three and a half years will be sweet because the Antichrist is going to be sweet. He's going to bring Christmas presents every, every Christmas. Then he's going to get upset, and he's going to break his covenant, and the last three and a half years are going to be bad. But it's going to be seven years of tribulation. Then Jesus comes the third time. Let's get it down. First time was in a manger. Second time was the rapture. Third time was at the end of the seven-year tribulation. There he introduces a millennium. That is, the word millennium simply means 1,000. 
The word millennium is not in the Bible. It's taken from Revelation chapter 20, where the word thousand is used a couple times, and that's the only place in the Bible it's used in any association with Jesus Christ like that. So for a thousand years, Jesus is going to be in Jerusalem, sitting on some piece of wood over there called a throne. The Jews are going to be the great nation on earth again. And the Gentiles are going to be their servants. Maybe we'll get to haul water and chop wood for the new altar that's going to be there at this third temple where animal sacrifices are going to be restored. The blood of animals is going to be shed to look back at the cross, they tell us. That is blasphemous to even think of such a ridiculous thing. The Lord's Supper transcends any number of animals of any kind of species and how their blood is shed. Right. And that's looking back at the cross. Amen. Isn't that what the Savior told us? Yeah. But it's ugly, isn't it? It's not as impressive because it's not in Israel. And if it's not in Israel, it must not be very important if you are a Jew or a Jew lover. Now let's just settle something. I am a Jew lover. That's why I love you. Because we are the true Israel of God. Amen. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Amen. I have a whole bunch of Abraham's seed sitting here in front of me. And so I love you as Jews. And that's all we mean by that word. You know, if there's a, if there's a Jew in the world right now that's been converted and is part of the body of Christ and the kingdom of Jesus Christ, we thank God for it. It's still possible. If there's a thousand of them, we thank God for that thousand. If there's 10,000 of them, we thank God for the 10,000. But we sure do thank God for the 10 million or the 50 million or the 200 million of God's elect among the Gentiles that believe on Jesus Christ to varying degrees. So during this thousand years, rebuilt temple in Jerusalem over there on the sand at the end of the Mediterranean Sea. Animal sacrifices. Zoos are going to open all their cages because lions and lambs are going to lie down together because they're all literalists. So if they read lion and lamb, what do you think they think about? Lion and lamb. If they read about all nations flowing to it, that means all the nations are going to take trips to Mecca, except it's going to be Jerusalem to arrive in Jerusalem and bring Jesus a birthday present. It's disgustingly earthly, carnal, terrible, blasphemous. Jesus is sitting in heaven right now, and if you want to read how he's being treated, he's being treated the way Revelation chapters 4 and 5 and the rest of that book describe. He's far above all principalities, powers, might, throne, and dominion. And he's being praised right now around the earth. This is the Lord's day. Why is it called the Lord's day? It's the day dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ around the world. And so that thousand years will then end. And let me, let me get it straight. First coming, second coming. The fourth coming, Jesus Christ will have a final battle with the wicked that have lived peaceably with the righteous during that millennium. It's unbelievable what they've gone through and created. And they've got charts for it. You know, we ought to have a chart across the whole front here showing what's going to happen next. That is dispensationalism. That's what they believe. They take everything literally. When when the Bible says Elijah the prophet will come before the great and terrible day of the Lord, the only thing they can think of is the great and terrible day of 
the battle of Armageddon, which they, uh, that, that's their own imagination as well, though Armageddon is mentioned in the Bible, Elijah's got to come. But Jesus taught in Matthew 11, John the Baptist was Elijah. Right. Jesus taught in Matthew 17, John the Baptist is Elijah. Luke 1 tells us, the angel speaking to Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, your son is going to come in the power and spirit of Elijah. We're spiritualizers, brethren. And isn't it exciting? Because we're with the Lord. You know what Jesus said as he gave those explanations? He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. We've got the ears to hear. They don't. Let's hear. It's not because we're better than they are. It's not because we're more intelligent than they are. It's because we've got ears to hear that he's given to us and he's read it. He's written it to us and we've read it and we believe it. You say, well, what does C.I. Schofield do with that? Why don't you want to borrow my copy or don't you all have one? I know many of you have one somewhere in your closet. Somewhere in your bookshelf is a Schofield reference Bible. Why don't you look it up and see, yes, it was only partially fulfilled here, but oh, it's big fulfillment is yet to come. And that's called the double, the school of double fulfillment, where if it doesn't fit your cause, you'll get a second fulfillment out of it. There's no second fulfillment about Elijah in the Bible. It's all about John the Baptist. They always have to be literalists. All prophecies are in the future, opposite the preterists who put them all in the past. The Old Testament prophecies of a kingdom were of an earthly, physical, Jewish kingdom on earth. Visible, army, walls, city, capital, throne, on earth. John and Jesus, these are their ideas. John and Jesus announced this rabbinical fantasy of earthly supremacy to Israel. John and Jesus, when they said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, were offering the Jews the rabbinical kingdom of a physical, earthly supremacy. The Jews rejected them because they weren't impressive enough. This is what they believe. So that we are now in the church age. Jesus withdrew his offer and went back to heaven and is waiting to be able to take the throne of David. (sighs) Frustrated. I'm not exaggerating one bit. Waiting to take the throne of David and get his rod of iron rule. Because the Jews messed things up by not taking their earthly kingdom when Jesus and John offered it to them. So that now we have the church age, which is a parenthesis. Cool. Did we just sing... We just sing, now glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. We're in a parenthesis. The timeline was moving along just fine until the Jews rejected a carnal kingdom on earth and we ended up with the church age. That's what they call it. We're in a parenthesis that the prophets never saw. What did I read to you from Romans 15 this morning? Did I read to you Moses from Deuteronomy 32? Did I read David from Psalm 18, David from Psalm 117, Isaiah from Isaiah 11? Did the prophets know about us? Did the prophets know about the church in Rome? We're in the church age. We're just a parenthesis. We're nothing. Because everything is moving toward Jewish supremacy when they'll get their rabbinical fantasy, when they'll get their earthly kingdom in the millennium. I I know what you're saying. 
You have not read them enough to know what they... Oh, yes, I have. This is exactly what they believe. There is yet to be a Jewish restoration and preeminence in a carnal earthly kingdom. God still owes the physical descendants of Abraham most or many of his promises. That's why we enjoy those 50 verses in the Bible that say God gave Israel all the land that he promised to give them, about 50. Ski Schofield said, oh, you don't understand. Zion. You do not understand Zionism. They have to have that little piece of land over there. And they have to have restored earthly preeminence. Pretend you're a Jew because you ain't got nothing else. You're a byword and a proverb in the whole earth just like God promised you would be. Yeah. Do you know that about the Bible? Yeah. Do you know that it says over and over that God would make the Jews a byword and a proverb so that when you steal something from someone, you say you Jewed them down? Where do you think that came from? Is that scriptural? It's not the right thing to say, but it's scriptural because you're fulfilling scripture. I'm not a Jew hater. They can live in New York City and Russia and other nations where they live. There's only a few of them that live in Israel. The rest of them live all over the place. That's, they're fine. But that's not the kingdom of Jesus Christ is the point right. I'm making. The real seed of Abraham is you and me and them that have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. But these dispensationalists say God still owes the physical descendants of Abraham most or many of his promises. But do you know what the Bible says? If you be Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You say, well, that's a singular promise. Okay, let me get the rest by moving back in Galatians 3. This is from Galatians 3. Galatians was written to Gentiles was written to people like us. Let me get verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and his seed. It does not say to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Now the promises, now the promises, plural, were made to Abraham and his seed. And the seed is Christ. Oh, we're blessed this morning to see a few of these things. Their millennium has, a, has temple number three, Ju- Jesus here on earth in some pitiful little throne. You can't make a, an impressive throne on earth. Haven't you think, don't you know that yet? Can you read Revelation 5 and think that that could ever occur on earth? How do you get those innumerable company of angels assembled? Where would you do it? They'd cover the Mediterranean Sea. It would evaporate. We're, look into heaven and see some impressive things. Right. Lion, lamb, junk, animal sacrifices. You need Schofield's Bible to see it. Premillennialism is Jesus coming before the millennium. Postmillennialism is a Presbyterian idea that if we will get involved in politics, not all Presbyterians believe it, but many, if we'll get involved in politics and that we'll live righteously and we'll raise our children right and we'll put them in Christian schools, that eventually the world will get better and better and better and better and better and better and better. It's got a long way to go, so that's why all the betters. It's got a long way to go. It will get so good that Jesus will then come because we will have ushered in the millennium. That's post-millennialism. Post, meaning after Jesus comes back that third or fourth time after the millennium, or second time, depending on what school of Schofield or or post-millennialism you're from, that's post. Pre is Jesus comes back and institutes the millennium on earth with that third temple in Jerusalem. Jesus is not on David's throne yet, and he doesn't have a kingdom yet, according to them. 
Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be... When? Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up, will get all of this rolling and bring Gentiles into it. Okay, let's use our Bibles and go to Isaiah chapter 9. No, let's go to Genesis chapter 3 so that I can bear my heart to you. Genesis chapter 3. I am very troubled this morning and coming here was very difficult because I have overkilled this subject in my notes and I don't know how to preach it because I do not want to spend the rest of 2018 on 1231A. And that's where I'm headed. But can we somehow cheat and make a little progress faster than that? And here's the problem. The glory of Jesus Christ, the prophecies and the fulfillment of it, is the drama of why the universe exists. It is everything. And it's throughout the Bible. I'm going to show it to you in Genesis 3. And it's in the last chapters of the Bible where we see Jesus on his white horse trampling his enemies. It is the Bible. So how do I preach 1,189 chapters and 31,102 verses to you in a few weeks? We've got to cheat and leave some of the verses behind. But here's the first little promise. And I want you to know that Genesis 3.15 was not made to Adam and it wasn't made to Eve. It was made to the devil. Here we go. We're, we're pretty early in the world's history, don't you think, in Genesis chapter 3? I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Let's get back to verse 14 so that you'll know who the Lord is addressing. And the Lord God, that's Jehovah. Notice the capital letters. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. That's the sovereignty of our God changing a creature in the Garden of Eden. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That little his, that's the second to the last word in this verse, that male pronoun tells us that the seed of the woman is a boy, is a man. A man-child was caught up to God and to his throne, and he would bruise the devil's head. It would be a fatal wound. This is what the devil got to hear in 4000 B.C. with the, with the creation of the world. That this woman that you just deceived, this little simple woman that you lied to, and she ate the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she's going to bear a son. It's a son. It's his, his heel. And he's going to bruise you, buddy. And it's coming. Do you want to... Listen, I get goosebumps. <laughs> Truly. But I get goosebumps. How great this subject is. Amen. That's what the devil got for messing our world up. But see, he left the world in the devil's hands for 4,000 years. And now we're to John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. In right. one verse, those two are so tightly tied together, we will not separate them. They go hand in hand. Because when you judge the world, you're judging it partly, mostly, by destroying the one in charge of it all. He's called the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 by the Holy Ghost. 
He's called the God of this world. He's called the prince of this world right here and in John 14, 30. It's the devil. But I want you to see how big the subject is and how troubled I am to know where to go. So we're going to go back to a verse that we were with last Lord's Day, but I want you to get familiar with some of these. Look at Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9. I've just spent a lot of minutes. But you know what? If I help save you from premillennialism, and I help give you an idea that most of the Bible is talking about the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and you should be looking for that wherever you read and spiritualizing things in the Old Testament to be referring to the gospel. And if I have created a little bit of excitement in you about the glory of Jesus Christ, then I have accomplished everything that the Lord wants me to thus far. Amen. And I'm not ashamed. Amen. Even though I hate time. So I enjoy the verse in Re Revelation when it says, and time shall be no more. Amen. <laughs> Isaiah 9. You know the verse. 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. How many times have you heard the verse? Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. You've heard it. And you've heard the last part of the verse. But it's that middle part that I want you to love. It's that middle part that I emphasized last Lord's Day, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. When you think of the Lord Jesus Christ, think of kingship. Think of lordship. Don't just think of child, and don't just think of son being born on earth, because he's not on earth, and he hasn't been there for 2,000 years. The Bible's going to tell us when I open up the second service that he ascended far above all heavens. Right. He descended first, but then he ascended far above all heavens. He's up there. And the government is on his shoulder. Right. He has strapped the government of the universe on. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace. How big do you think his kingdom is going to be? Israel? No. The universe. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. It is infinitely extensive, except for God. Upon the, where does it say that in the Bible? 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 28, that God is accepted from being under the feet of Jesus Christ because everything else is. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end, and in extent, and in time. And upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. Henceforth is when? From here on the timeline forward. When is henceforth? Unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. When Jesus came into this world. That was the, that was the, the stage initiating a king. What did right. Gabriel tell Mary in Luke 1.30? He shall take the throne of his father David and reign forever. A king is born in Bethlehem, the Bible tells us, that the angels announced. Look at Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11 over a couple... Boy, I wish I could... You know, there's Messianic Psalms. And I want you to know the Psalms in the book of Psalms that are about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there are prophecies about the Lord Jesus Christ that are plain, enough for you not to be confused, like this one. There shall come... Verse 1. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. This is from the household of Jesse... Jesse was the father of David. This is the son of David. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. 
Jesus had the spirit without measure, the Bible tells us. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. Could he handle any of the religious leaders of his day without any difficulty whatsoever and shame them in public to where they wouldn't even want to open their mouths and ask him a question? The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and shall make him of quick understanding and the fear of the Lord and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes. Is that what he did in John chapter 8 with the woman taken in adultery? He did not judge after the sight of his eyes or with the hearing of his ears because he judged righteous judgment. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor. And it goes on to describe and it comes down to verse 10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people to it shall the Gentiles seek and his rest shall be glorious. That's what we're, we're resting right now in the finished work of Jesus Christ and his work. And that rest is glorious. Amen. This verse, 10, oh, that's Romans 15, 12. Oh, so Paul was telling us that Isaiah 11 was fulfilled in Jesus. Yes, that's the point I'm trying to make to you. It was fulfilled then, not in the millennium. The son of David, the ensign of Jesse, is not then, it's back then and now. It's historical and present the Lord Jesus Christ reigns. Amen. Look at Daniel 2. Do you remember Daniel 2? I know. Oh. Children. Children that go, okay, you all go to school. Some go to homeschool. Has your mother ever spent more than one day on the multiplication tables? Does your teacher at school ever spend more than one day on the multiplication tables? Or is it by repetition that you learn those things? How do you know what 12 times 12 is? That's not the easiest little piece of math. But how do you know what? Does everybody out here already know the answer to that? You don't have to sit down. You don't, don't pull that cell phone out. Uh, I think they have math apps on them nowadays. They've got every kind of app there is. I wish they had a kingdom app that would get. Yeah, right. Daniel Jones, I'm looking right at you. I wish there was a kingdom app that when you touch that baby every day, it would give you a kingdom verse out of the Bible that Jesus Christ is king. Right. <laughs> you know how long it took you to learn 12 by 12 was 144? I mean, you had to say it many, many times until it's just ingrained. Right. I know what I'm doing right now, just a little tiny bit. Daniel chapter 2 is Nebuchadnezzar's image that he saw, and that image represented the kingdoms of the world. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, Christ. It was a huge image. It's a long chapter. I'm not going to read very much in it. I just want to read Daniel's explanation. Verse 31, Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold. Verse 32 of Daniel 2, His breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest, till that a stone was cut out without hands. Something supernatural happened. Something divine happened. God sent a stone which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain, Mount Zion, and filled the whole earth. Amen. That's the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's around the whole earth. It's in every nation. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, bang. Amen. 
hit in the feet. In the days of the Roman Empire, Jesus of Nazareth was born in Bethlehem. The wise men came to Herod and said, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Whoa, what? I'm the king of the Jews. Oh, by the way, however of you read Hebrew, uh, Acts 13 last night, Acts 13 last night, were you reading carefully? Did you read in verse 1 that there was a preacher in the church of Antioch of Syria that had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, now is the judgment of this world. The most Christ-hating people on earth the Roman representatives over the... If you read about the lives of the Herods, you would know why I'm saying what I'm saying. But a man brought up with Herod the Tetrarch is one of the preachers in the church in Antioch of Syria. Menaean, named. The gospel was spreading, and it was spreading into places that you wouldn't think but the gospel went everywhere. You know the Bible makes reference to Paul saying, they of Caesar's household salute you. He had converted some in Caesar's household. Can't spend any more time there in chapter 2. Fantastic. Listen, there's PowerPoint presentations on the website that'll take you through this color by color, piece by piece. Explain it. Jesus Christ is the... Jesus Christ's kingdom is the stone cut out without hands that hit it in the feet and broke apart the Roman Empire and there's never been an empire like it again and filled the whole earth. Jesus Christ's religion is practiced everywhere. You say, but a lot of it's in error. Yes, that is a different subject for a different time, but it's Jesus Christ instead of a totem pole. Do you know that another Jesus is better than an idol? Another Jesus is better than a Buddha. Another Jesus is just a mental error about the doctrine of Jesus Christ. In their hearts, they can still be worshiping Jesus that saved them. They just don't know the truth properly. Paul served God faithfully, killing Christians. Because he was doing it for Jehovah. No one has ever served God with Buddha. Buddha is not Jehovah. Right. Okay, I don't... That's got to be taught sometime. I am sick and tired of questions brought up by primitive Baptists about the whole world being saved because of unconverted elect or 90% of the world or 80% of the world because if you're above eight-tenths of a percent, you're wrong. Who in the world do you think's being saved? We believe in unconverted elect, but they are a select, small group, and we do not go running wild with that to put everybody into heaven so that we can all relax and sit on our sofas. We want to press people to obey. Daniel 2 is just glorious. Daniel 7. Daniel 7 presents those world empires a different way. I said all this last Lord's Day. I want you to remember it. You know, I could make my point very easily... I could have you all stand and then ask you just a few questions if you could direct me to some places in the Bible and pretty soon we would have exposed many in the church that don't know these things. That's why the repetition. Daniel 7 is the four, five empires again 
presented in beasts because a beast in the Bible is an empire. In Daniel and in Revelation, it's not a man. It's, a be- it's an empire. Right. And there's horns growing out of it. And there's successors to it. Those are, in, those are men. Those are positions. But there, in verse 4 of Daniel chapter 7, Daniel 7 is a wonderful chapter, and it describes the little horn of Rome. Verse 4 is Babylon. It's a lion. Can't talk about it right now. I have preached all this. This is all simple. Verse 5 is Persia, Medo-Persians. That's why it has two sides. Verse 6 is Greece. That's, that's Alexander the Great, who conquered so quickly, he was like a leopard with four wings. And the beast had four heads. Those are the four generals that took over Alexander's empire when he died at 30 years of age. Verse 7 is Rome, a dreadful and terrible dragon-looking beast that had ten horns and so forth and so on. It's described, and we want verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days. And they brought him near before him. Well, now, what does Jesus need to be brought near before the Ancient of Days? These are the angels bringing Jesus of Nazareth to Almighty God Jehovah for his coronation, investiture, installation, formally and officially to the universe. And there was given him dominion. When did Jesus get this? When he was crowned with glory and honor at his coronation. Hebrews 2, 5 through 9. After his ascension into heaven, there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Because the Babylonian passed away and was destroyed. The Persian passed away and was destroyed. Alexander and Greece passed away. Greece? Greece. Have you read about them in the news the last five years? They can't even... Oh, their country is absolute shambles. They don't have the financial intelligence of a duck. (laughs) Honestly, I know it sounds... Listen, somebody's going to say to me, it's not right to pick on a nation like that. Let's go to Titus chapter 1, where Paul said about the Cretans, they're always liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies. I'm not saying Greece was always that way. Haven't you looked at Alexander the Great on our website? But right now they're pitiful. They don't know how to work, they don't want to work, and they don't know how to take care of money. And so the European Union has had to bail them out over and over and over again, and the the, the countries that like to work and save money, like Germany, are getting tired of bailing them out over and over again. You've read about it over five years. What I'm saying is those kingdoms have passed away. They've gone into oblivion. Look at Rome. The Italians were the joke of World War II. They weren't the joke 2,000 years before that. The Roman army conquered from Britain to Afghanistan. But they were the joke of World War II. They couldn't fight their way out of a wet paper bag. Hitler had to keep sending divisions of Germans to Italy to protect them while he fought a war on 20 different fronts spread over 10,000 miles. What a difference. But uh, there's another king here, and he's brought before the Ancient of Days. The angels brought him. They brought him. Does it say that? This picture, to me, 
Listen, I could just stay right here on this verse, on these two verses, right here. These are beautiful verses. That coming in the clouds of heaven was not coming to earth. That was coming to the Ancient of Days. That's Jesus' ascension when he got his glory. Remember? He doesn't get his glory when he comes to earth. He got his glory when he went to heaven. Right. And there was given him dominion. Can we read in Ephesians chapter 1 that he is now far above all dominion, might, throne, power, and every name that is to name? Okay. It's oh, beautiful. Listen, I've got simple goals right now. I want you to be excited about all these things. Right. Look at chapter 9. 2, 7, 9. To even get started in the book of Revelation, you better know the book of Daniel. Because the book of Daniel will explain beasts to you and explain a number of things. The beast of Daniel 7 that was the Roman Empire is the same beast in uh, Revelation. Go, go, look, go find his ten horns. Because that's what happened to Roman Empire. It fell into the ten nations of Europe. It's very, very simple. Horns grew out of the beast's head. Horns grew out. When the beast died, horns took its place. And that was the, the nations of Europe. Under the Pope, the Roman Empire came back into power. It was called the Holy Roman Empire. There was a mortal wound given to the beast. It appeared the beast had died. Then the beast came back to life. And all men on earth worshipped the beast because it was now the Holy Roman Empire of the Roman Catholic Church. It had the same leader called Pontifus Maximus from the same city with the same language and ruled over the same group of people, Europe. Daniel 9, different prophecy, verse 24, 70 weeks, are determined upon thy people. This is a Jewish prophecy because it says thy people, it's directed to Daniel. 70 weeks. This is 70 weeks of years, 490 years from 456 B.C. 70, when Cyrus made the decree that Jerusalem was to be rebuilt. 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city, that's Jerusalem, to finish the transgression for them to fill up the wickedness of that nation by crucifying Jesus Christ, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. These are the things that Jesus Christ accomplished. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince, we are reading about a kingdom. Why are we in this passage? A kingdom. Messiah the Prince. Messiah is only in the Bible two places. It's right here. Messiah the Prince. He's ruling. He's reigning. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5 says he's the prince of the kings of the earth. Messiah the prince shall be seven weeks. It took them 49 years to build the temple. And three score and two weeks, the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. You read about those troublous times in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah as they rebuilt temple number two, the only two temples the Jews were to have. Verse 26, and after three score and two weeks, that is after three score and nine weeks, because it's had seven weeks up there in verse 25. Seven was separated, then 62, so we've got 69 weeks. We're down to 483 years. After 483 years shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. Jesus, Messiah wasn't going to die for himself. He died for us. Right. And the people of the prince that shall come, those are the Romans. The, peep, the prince was Titus. He wasn't Caesar. He was Caesar's son. Caesar was Vespasian. Titus was his son. Titus was prince. The people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That's the temple of Jerusalem. And the end thereof shall be with a flood. And under the end of the war, desolations are determined. This is the abomination of desolation. 
And he, that is Messiah the prince, because he's the operating single male subject from verse 26. The prince is not the subject. It's the people of the prince. That's a plural, please. I don't have time right now. I've been over all this before. But he, he is so important in verse 27. It's Messiah the prince. Messiah the prince shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. In the middle of the seventh year, of the 70th week, of seven years, in the middle, after three and a half years of ministry, Jesus died and ended the sacrificial system by tearing the veil from top to bottom in the temple of Jerusalem and making the way into God wide open. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, that temple and city, even until the consummation, and that determined, shall be poured upon the desolate, the abomination of desolation. Your house is left unto you desolate. Matthew 23. Oh, this is good. Luke chapter 1. And it's time to go. Luke chapter 1. This is Gabriel to Mary. We started in Genesis 3. We sang glorious things of thee are spoken. We started in, Re in Romans 15. It's all about the king and his kingdom. Amen. Romans 1.30, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great. He shall be great. What else do you need? You should be shouting hallelujah. Amen. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Amen, amen. amen. and amen. Stand with me please.